0: Good evening, you are listening to episode... 194 of Three Moves Ahead, the once and future official podcast of FlashofSteel.com, coming to you on the Idle Thumbs Network. As you can tell by the much longer introduction, I am your host, founder of the podcast, uh, Troy Goodfellow. And with me, uh, a not a regular panelist, but someone we'd like to have on the show, because he's always behind the scenes, our audio engineer, uh, Mr. Michael Hermes.
1: Good
2: evening. Thank you for having me on.
0: Thank you for suggesting this topic because we were kind of scrambling as we generally do. Because Rob uh, had a call was called off to San Francisco this week, so he could not plan or organize something. But Michael stepped in with yet another interesting topic uh, and to help us with this topic. We have uh, a listener to the show, uh, interesting guy on Twitter, fun fun to read and engage with, Mr. Shannon I'm gonna I'm gonna pronounce your name wrong. Quinnell? That's correct. Shannon Quinnell, there we go, who was by Strange Blades on Twitter, which is how I know him. And I invited him because he tweeted about the game we're going to talk a lot about uh, tonight. We have a returning guest, someone who talked extensively about his game a couple of years ago uh, on Three Moves Ahead uh, from Arkan Games, uh, lead designer of AI War and uh, Valley Without Wind, Mr. Chris Park. Yeah,
3: thanks for having me back. It's been a while.
0: <laughs> it has been, and you've, your studio's done a lot of really cool things in the last year or two. Oh,
3: thanks. We're working on more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we have Chris uh, and Shannon on to talk about, what about AI War uh, in specific, talk about uh, the upgrades, up up grades, the updates, the patches, how the game's changed since launch. It's a game that Michael plays quite a bit, so he has some insight there. I haven't had a lot of time to go back to it in the last six months, but I do have a few questions, and hope we can get into some of the nitty-gritty of the independent game development, and when you update, when you don't, and what are the decisions you make about what improvements to make at what point. Uh, So let's talk a bit about the state of uh, AI War right now. It's in version six something
3: uh yeah i can't always keep up either the the official version that's out right now is 6.0 um and then you know we have ongoing beta updates that uh you know every week or 10 days or thereabouts at the moment
2: and and 6.0 was a pretty recent that that was a pretty big step but that was a fairly recent patch
3: uh yeah that all our uh, major version numbers always correspond um, with a new expansion that we do. So uh, our latest expansion for it came out uh, mid-October, I forget the exact day, maybe the 19th. Um, everything's kind of a blur with dates these days, but uh, the um, the 6.0 represents, uh, in terms of the base game, um, a lot of things that we fixed and tweaked, and just general improvements to the base game, but also to the other expansions that we'd already done. Plus, it has all the kind of underlying framework for the uh, for the new expansion as well. So that's why we do our major versions at that at those breakpoints.
2: Okay should we uh, Should we review for the listeners who may not be familiar with the game?
0: Well, that's yeah. AI War. I mean, I mean, let's, ex- let's go to Shannon. I mean, you you play AI War. What is AI War?
1: Well. I think by definition, AI War is hard to define, considering it's in its sixth version of itself. It is a um, uh, co-op RTS, where the uh, one to six six people, Chris? Eight. Eight. People can face off against two deliberate AI opponents. And I say deliberate because I believe it was your intention to create um, AI that acted like we think AI or Skynet in space would act. Aggressive, hostile, and pushing you all the way to the brink of extinction
2: yeah and people talk a lot about tying theme and mechanics together and i think that's one of the strongest parts of this game is that uh you know knowing a little bit of background goes a long way into playing it because the the gist of it is that humanity's already gotten rolled by these ais you know the the war is over and ai has uh presumably moved on to deal with other ai stuff so the humans could get crushed the players could be just completely steamrolled anytime uh, by the AI, but you kind of have to keep a low profile and strategically, you know, go about your business to try and take it down because if you just go out guns blazing, uh, it'll notice you and uh, just destroy the player. So, you know, if someone were to just pick it up and start playing it like any other 4X RTS type game, uh, it might not be, you know, they, they might find it play quite a bit differently, but I think that's one of the most appealing parts about it.
0: Now, AI War came out, you know, in 2009?
3: Yeah, it came out. The version 1 came out in May 2009.
0: Yeah, so we had you in episode 37. That's how long ago. That's how long ago AI War came out. So I want to talk a little bit about the development process and how you get to the point where you are. I mean, how do you um, – what were the first things, I guess, the first problems or first things you wanted to expand on? Um, and what brought you this far?
3: Well, um, I think by the time I was on this, we were probably in the version 2.0 range. Um, You know, with version 1.0 in in, uh, May of 2009, that was my first foray into, you know, doing a game for other people. I'd been doing professional software development for like eight years before that, and I'd been doing hobbyist game development my whole life. But doing something for an actual audience beyond, you know, yourself and family and friends is pretty different. And there were a lot of little bumps with it at that point, but obviously, thank goodness, that didn't stop people from from enjoying it. And, the you know, the art was rough and, you know, that sort of thing. And so at 2.0, we kind of cleaned up Everything, And actually, we was pretty much me at that point. Um, we cleaned up everything and got the, um, you know, the art looking better. And, and it's not going to win any awards, but it's a lot better than it was. And, you know, it's just uh, it's just kind of refining everything. And then um, over time, uh, with version 3, 4, 5, and now 6, um, there's been... It's, it's not been any particular one thing, and it's not necessarily something that's fundamentally broken, but I guess, you know, you could ask the question, you know, why is StarCraft, uh, ha- why has that been receiving patches for like the better part of a decade, was it, was it broken? I mean, you know, I, I would say no, it wasn't necessarily broken, but as people uh, play it in a serious hardcore fashion. And learn more and more about the nuances of it, you start finding things where at an advanced level of play, um, it does become broken if it's not a living thing that reacts I mean in a, in a in a real war, you know everything is kind of give and take, and if the game developers right. have stopped, there's no more give the, the, once the players have hit a certain point, they're just done. It's time to move on to the next game. And um, so a big part of our um, goals with the base game in particular has been to just keep it alive and interesting by having that give and take go. As soon as the players find something, they gleefully tell us, and usually in the same th- thread that they're telling us, hey, I found this thing that I you know, almost beat the level 10 AI, which is the highest one, um, then... Uh, they're like, and I bet this could have stopped me if it did just this and this and this, and then there's a big discussion, and we think about it, and we figure out how to integrate whatever it is into our fixes.
0: <laughs> Don't they realize they're not supposed to be on Skynet's side? Oh,
3: no, they love Skynet's side. You know, Whenever they report that they almost beat a level 10 or beat a level 10 AI, we'll say, oh, let us fix that for you. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry we let that bug slip in there. You know. <laughs>
1: So after all these years, since 2009, my dream of beating a level 10 AI is now the bar is set so high by these users who are telling you how to make it even more invincible.
3: That's that's pretty much the long and short of it. And there are people <laughs> that play it and they do, and they do beat it on, uh, on level 10, but it's kind of a moving target because they'll figure out you have to play the game in a really non-standard way uh, in order to, to beat the level 10, like you can normally, like I balance it, have always balanced it for myself at level seven. Um, You know, I could play higher, but that's where it's like, it's comfortable and I'll win, you know, 30% of the time, maybe at level seven. if I'm, you know, not going completely uh, whatever OCD on trying to make sure I play a perfect game or whatever, if I'm just kind of playing a relaxed game, I'll win about 30% of the time. And that makes me happy on, that level so there's a lot of people that play in the eight and nine range and you know that's you're meant to be able to win it depending on your level of skill there too with level 10 that's something that's kind of meant to be the (laughs) uh i don't know the the fruit and whatever that level of hell is that's always just out of reach <laughs> 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 in mean, Dante's circle of hell but uh, more specifically you know if somebody who's just supremely good at RTS games uh, wants to give it a go normally they're not going to be able to play against anybody except another player of their caliber and if anybody else is beating an AI then they're just going to steamroll it and so kind of the idea is for those sorts of people um, to have something for them to be able to play against in a in a game that is inherently co-op, except against the AI, and that's something that. Uh, As with like StarCraft play, I mean you or I playing StarCraft. I don't care how good you are. If you're not in like the Korean league, um, we play a very different game of StarCraft than those guys that are you know playing on the esports teams because that's just you know their games barely resemble ours. It's not like a faster version of ours. They play differently, and that's what happens at at uh, the people who are actually winning or nearly winning at AI10.
2: You said something interesting in there, and I'm going to take it off on a quick tangent where players may only see the highest level of play against another player. And the game has always been co-op against the AI. Have you considered or would you consider something that I think a lot of people have talked about in the past, which is PvP?
3: We've talked about that, and that's been something that's been kind of an ongoing, somewhat undercurrent for players. Um to to want you know a, a small subset have been like yeah that'd be cool you know we haven't had a massive demand for it and I think that one of the reasons is just the nature of this game um, is I don't have anything against PvP games uh, but um, I think a game needs to know what it is and when you, the the all the game mechanics here are designed around this kind of guerrilla warfare, you versus the much, much larger and more powerful AI. And you would lose all of the mechanics that make the game most unique and interesting if you went to PvP. I mean, the AI progress that, you know, is the kind of threat level, the rageometer, as some people call it, for the AI. And um, all the different things with how you capture planets and just that whole back and forth. You'd come into something that was just kind of like Sins of of the Solar Empire, but with worse graphics, I think, if you started (laughs) lifting out... All this, so, so I mean, that's where I come into is kind of like, well, there's lots of good PvP games on the market. Why am I going to try and compete with those guys? They, they're they doing a fine job. And the other thing is I don't really play PvP um, RTS games anymore. I mean, I did some back a decade ago, but I just, I just don't play them that way anymore. I either play solo or I play co-op. And I don't think it's a super good idea... Um, to be trying to design games that you don't actually, you know, you're not in, you're not a part of the target audience. I think that's a recipe for really messing up the design. <laughs> so there's a lot of reasons, at any rate, that I'm...
2: Well, they're, they're pretty good reasons. <laughs> Thanks.
0: So I guess this comes down to, you have mentioned a couple of things here, to think, both, because kind of intersect with each other and also fight with each other a bit, because you know you have this, this, grand, this great vision for AI War. It is a game that is about uh, getting together with your friends or playing by yourself and losing and trying to beat this AI, and it is a very original vision for an RTS, for a strategy game in general, um, to have something that's intentionally, at its best, co-op. Um, and This is a vision you have and you're very dedicated to this vision. I think it's great and you're right. you, have, you would have to really dramatically change how the game works. Um, you could, this is something you could just fit and you could just fix and like AI war 7.0. You'd have to really go really deep down uh, to turn into something that it isn't. But you also have you know this community of users that um, is and this is an independent game, it's a relatively niche. Uh, game. It's excellent for what it is. It doesn't have a huge community. And this is your number one source of feedback. Um, So either they really, really buy into the vision, which leads to, which could lead potentially to this whole groupthink mentality where, you know, we know what this is, which make it really more hardcore than it is. They end up with the whole flight sim rivet counter problem. Only, Only localized. Or you get this community you rely on pushing you and pushing the vision in a different way. And then, because of the source of your feedback, um, if they push really hard for PvP, there's this, there's could be the pressure to actually address that and put something in with it. How do you, as a small studio with limited resources, limited time, the fact that you keep, I mean, you say, yeah, well, I mean, there's one thing I said, well, why do they upgrade? update StarCraft for a decade. Well, because they're freaking Blizzard, and they're not doing anything else for three years, because they release one game every five. So, you know, they can actually do do, do, do that. Um, you're not. You're a studio, a smaller studio that's really, for, for three years, that really updated this constantly, with really major changes. Um, so how do you really balance that? How do you balance the vision versus the community feedback, and have there been tensions that you've had to deal with?
3: Well, there's always tensions. Um, most people... Uh, the vast majority of people, uh, especially in our community, we've got a really good community. I think partly because a lot of them tend to be a bit older. Uh, you know, we, we catch the the grognards in general, and you know, if you're in your 20s, you're on the younger end of the spectrum of, you know, there there are lots of people in their 20s and some in their teens that that play I, I War and are active on our forums. We also have a lot of 30s and up too. Yay, thirties and up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we have some people in their fifties that have been, you know, uh, uh, beta testers and stuff for it, and uh, you know, so it's a it's a little bit of a different audience. There's a little bit less um, most of the time. There's a little bit less kind of heated emotion about things, and mm-hmm. I think that the fact that uh, you know they know that we're trying to do uh, right by them and make decisions that make sense in a you know, we we take what they say and, you know, there have been a a couple of people that have complained don't get too specific with your suggestions or they'll change it just to be different or whatever. And it's like, well, no, that's not why we changed whatever suggestion. You know, we take suggestions in and then we figure out how it's going to work with kind of the vision that we have for it. uh, We being Keith Lamothe and myself at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there are always changes that we wind up making to make it because if you don't live and breathe this stuff like a developer does, uh, even if you've played, you know, we've got players that put in 600 plus hours into the game logged on Steam, you know, and it's just kind of like, you know, that's that's a lot of hours.
0: That really is.
3: And, uh, you know, we've got people that are, you know, got 100 hours in and still consider themselves kind of new. It's just like, okay, you know, whatever. But you know, even at that level, there's still not quite the same depth of familiarity with, you know, how to, what is the vision for the game and all that sort of thing. So I mean, I think that they tend to get that, and sometimes they get, sometimes a given individual will be frustrated that the vision isn't more to their liking or whatever. But honestly, that's been a pretty rare thing with this game. Um, so I mean, it's um, and one of the, the key things I think that has really helped us with that, now that I think about it, <coughs> is um, we have so much freaking configurability in there. Because you mentioned, for instance, the flight simulator thing with it getting like ridiculously overcomplicated with its, you know, niche of users and, you know, that's a fair comparison. We do have with each expansion the game does um, get a certain amount more potentially difficult. Uh, it doesn't necessarily get more baseline difficult, but the amount of potential difficulty that you can turn on if you start cranking up all this extra options that get added just goes through the <laughs> roof. Um, because we keep adding these minor factions and this and that other kind right. of things, you know, AI plots and all this other stuff that you can turn on if you're feeling masochistic and uh those things really satisfy the the hardcore audience and they play with various of them on or off or, you know, all of them on if they're really insane. And um, that gives them, you know, markedly different experiences that, um, you know, give them that niche, this is for me sort of hardcore audience feel versus without those turned on, uh, you get a more polished, more streamlined experience uh, version of the core vision versus it veering off into over complexity land if they you know don't go crazy and turn on everything in their first game
2: <laughs> i've I pondered doing that i've i fired up a game this week to to get kind of caught up on where things are and i was turning things on and off and I, I briefly considered turning on everything just to see what kind of chaos would ensue and uh
3: but it, <laughs> i don't do that
2: <laughs> I, I i might do it just for fun but it it made me realize that just, like you said, all the different minor factions and all the little different options, uh, they can make for a pretty different game from one to the next because you have different, and not only different, but interesting decisions just based on how you've set up you know, this particular round.
1: I like the fact that in some games, and you do have a difficulty setting, but in some games that's all they have to change up the AI. They get more bonuses, more hit points. Whereas this, you can pick uh, an AI that's so aggressive, from minute one, you'd have nothing but constant waves of ships, or he's a complete turtler, or he's some esoteric thing, which I still haven't clicked on because I'm afraid.
3: (laughs) Yeah, there's, there's, I I don't even remember how many AI types we're up to now, I think it's in the 50s, Um, and they're all different personalities that use different... um, different strategies and stuff. It's hard to keep track of exactly how many of those we've added because we add some new ones with each expansion. Um, but, yeah, there's there's so many different different things. And, you know, Troy, I kind of skirted this part of your question from earlier. You'd asked, you know, in essence, it sounded like you were asking, you know, why does this make sense to keep doing this um, for, for Ark? And now, you know, Blizzard can do whatever they feel like. But, um, you know, the simplest answer is that our player base is constantly growing, and uh, I think at this point, AI Wars generated about three quarter of a million dollars, and yeah. yeah, and it's still growing. And every time we do an expansion, it's a pretty guaranteed source of revenue. And our revenue's been um, pretty—it's—it's it's been uh, not as high as there was kind of a peak. Shortly after we got on Steam, I guess, and there was another peak, I guess, when we did around the 4.0 time. But other than those peaks, um, it's been pretty pretty stable in terms of how much income it's give, giving us. You know, it's not sliding. Three years on, we're not making less money than we were in uh, you know, company revenue is up in general. This is why we have more staff. And we're able to pursue more projects in general. So just right. purely from a financial standpoint, this makes sense. We're giving the customers what they want. They can't get it anywhere else. Uh, they're buying the expansions, which is a, you know, minor source of revenue, all told. But uh, more right. so, we're able to capture... Um, Thousands of new players each time we do a new expansion or new sale or whatever. So uh, the cost of doing a new expansion is kind of um, spread not over not just over what it sells, which it usually makes up for itself anyway, but also on sales of the base game. So it's um, you know it's it's been a uh, it's been a real successful thing. I mean, with our third expansion, yeah, second expansion, uh, Children of Ninezil. Um, that one we did, so that all the proceeds were for Child's Play, and uh, I think we've generated it's thirty-two, thirty-four thousand dollars for them uh, so far, which has been, and we're still, you know, all the proceeds still go to them since two thousand and ten. So, um, you know, that's been something that's worked out well for us to be able to do some stuff for charity as well as, hey, it also drives sales of the base game. So it's kind of a right. a win-win thing there. Um, you know, my big focus is on trying to make sure that uh, when AI War sales eventually do dip, which I've always thought they would well before now, we have another source of revenue stream that is, uh, you know, <laughs> remotely as reliable. Because, I mean, it's been like clockwork with this one for the most part.
2: And one of the things, you know, that I think is commendable towards your player base is, you know, you saw that this was working and then you look at an update like uh, the specifically like 4.0, I think, which is when you did the, the major graphics overhaul. Uh, you went to a different engine, and that very easily, you know, based on what we see from some other developers, that could have been AI War 2. But you rolled it out as an update to the current game.
3: Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of, of nickel-and-diming uh, people when when it can be avoided in particular. And the that was something that... Um, You know, we had a big windfall after that because people, you know, there's so many customers out there. I don't think that people really realize just how many people... Are out there that play these sorts of games or that yeah. that are just that are interested in these sort of things and they're not all people that go and talk on forums they're not all people that are part of an online community of any sort but they play them and a lot of them play solo. so that's another thing that I think these people are also the people who are getting uh, left behind by the games that focus too much on PvP because okay Starcraft 2 or one or whatever has a really awesome online PvP ladder fine. But what about, you know, the, I'm assuming at this point, millions of people who play solo. They play strategy games on their own, in their room, doing whatever it is, or, you know, at work, on the computer, whatever it is. And a good co-op experience, generally speaking, is a lot more conducive to making a good solo experience, because it's, you know... Alone by, you know, alone together, alone by yourself, whatever. Um, versus, you know, PvP. You know, if the AI is not holding up its end, well, you're just kind of hosed. So, um.
0: so how, how do you reach that audience? How I mean, you guys have been a great success story, and I mean, this is something that we struggle with in PR. I don't trust the PR podcast, but how do you find specific audiences? I and mean, how do you, how do you get to them? Because you're know, this is, I mean, this is something that I said at uh, Pax East. You know, there's this assumption there aren't strategy games out there and you know when you go to editors and pitch a story I mean I know Rob has this and other guys have this you know they say well our audience doesn't care about strategy games they don't care about this weird little space game or this weird little history game that's not what our audience is interested in even though there are as you've noted thousands and thousands of people who are buying and playing these games now how do you as a developer, first find these people do you have evangelists to go to in the community look who have just taken the game and pushed to their friends or is there something else going on i think it's a
3: combination of things um and you know a lot of it unfortunately happens where you can't try where google analytics there's not tread essentially so you know it's kind of guesswork but from what i've been able to piece together um there's taking this specifically with the strategy gamers, uh, you know, there's a lot of websites that are devoted to this. I mean, you've got things like Space Sim Central, which is not necessarily right. about strategy games, but it's about space games. So you get people who are looking from that. And then you have all the various websites about strategy games, and there's a bunch of them. And you get people through that. And um, then you've got the word of mouth, which, of course, is enormously helpful. And that can constitute on... Um, forums and so forth. And as far as getting the ball rolling, that was a big thing for us was yeah. um back excuse me, back in 2009 um people would talk about the game on forums and of course I had a Google alert set up and so anytime anybody would mention the game anywhere on the internet which is actually still true I would see it and so if they were having trouble or questions or whatever uh, they're like oh this blows this blah 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 and they're having this complete misunderstanding then I'd pop over there you know register a forum account and answer their question and uh you know you wouldn't believe the the impression that makes on people wow the game developer stopped by here and look they were so nice i was just like you know calling their game bad names and and then they're like i'll give it another try and then it's like whoa this actually is fun what do you know and then they're explaining next thing you know to other people why it's fun and that was a big part of how we kind of got rolling
2: it's kind of skynet-ish behavior i might add <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: But it's also something that, uh, that certain developers, you know, have to stay away from. Because I mean, you handle it pro- if you handle criticism properly, then yeah, it's a great way to do it. If you're a developer who just doesn't respond well to criticism or just jumps in with defending the game without accepting the criticism and trying to explain, then that's a can be a total mess
3: and that was a big thing too because a lot of times especially in the 2009 frame time frame a lot of people had very legitimate gripes and so between that 1.0 and 2.0 version uh a lot of the things that were uh being fixed were things that somebody on some random forum would complain about and i'd see it and make a quick fix and roll that out in little uh, beta patch and say hi. I noticed you were complaining about this. Sorry, here's a fix. This is much better now. Let me know what you think. You know, and and that makes a big impression too. Um, and it, you know, it's, when you post something on a public forum, you got to expect that people are gonna gonna see it if you're the the player. But I mean, I think that as as players, I know f- from my own standpoint as a player, I figure. I've always felt like, you know, if I post something about You know, Nintendo Game X or something that Sony's doing or you know whatever. There's no way in hell they're ever going to see it. You know, it's just forget about that. They're they're not reading this, but I mean I think that uh, more developers really are reading that stuff than people might think. But uh, you know, the the actual developer staff because if you've worked for so long on a particular product, uh, you you know you're kind of curious what people are saying about it and if they're posting things positively or negatively in a public place you're you know you're inclined to go read that and if there's something that you can clear up that's just simply misunderstanding that's if within your power to do something about then hopefully you can go in there as passionately as possible and actually you know improve the situation versus starting some sort of internet flame war or something and <laughs> you know that's how things got started um but then the big thing beyond that was you know impulse at first um before, well, I won't go there. Uh, a while back, um, they were a uh, very big uh, source of income for us, and um, that was uh, something that got us on the map in a lot of in a lot of respects. Uh, you know, we were. I think Adwar was the highest. I think it ever got was either number two or number four on their overall bestsellers list during some particular sales that had happened in the 2009 ish time frame Mm -hmm. and you know that got the attention of steam and so then we were on steam and uh, uh how do you get the attention of people uh well when you put something that's on sale or you put out new dlc for it then people see that in the new releases on steam and there's a whole strategy section right there and the people who play strategy games know to go look for strategy games there and they see it and so every time we do a new expansion or whatnot, uh, we get a big bump in visibility um, that suddenly resuscitates the game. And, you know, if it's starting to flag, then it just bounces right back. And, um, you know, that, that's that been, I think, the overall... I don't I don't know where we would be if it wasn't for Steam with this. And I, you know, I don't want to sound like some sort of evangelist or whatever, because I know that a lot of people are... A lot of indie developers are like, oh, you know, selling direct. And I support that and we have so many other great partners too and so uh, you know it's it's a a tough situation but it's kind of like well you know i really don't know where we would be if it wasn't for the relationship with steam
1: which has been really good for us so were we going to touch upon theme a little bit more
0: sure go ahead right ahead yep
1: that's the first thing that attracted me this game was the description and that now famous uh, blurb you have in the flavor text. You are outgunned, outmanned. And to me, that's gospel for games. The more difficult, the better. Going forward with new content, as you add things, is there a... like, after version, who knows what, 4, 4. 4.5, when you add new content, does it go through a filter of how this will fit the theme, or does it just simply go... Um, ah, this is cool. Let's just put it in.
3: Well, everything um, from you know way back to 1.0 and onwards, uh, whenever we started adding stuff, it's it's always been you know let's make this a coherent world. Now, the nice thing about science fiction or fantasy is that you can just make crap up, and so it's like you know the technobabble stuff with you know the famous stuff with Star Trek: The Next Generation or whatever. It's like. Oh, didn't you know the flame drive you just I'll uh you know turn on this switch and and this will get us out of this predicament, you know. See, so we'll reroute power from the main couplers. Yes, exactly. You know, that's a popular one. And so with us, it's kind of like, well, <clears throat> you know, we have we have overall rules of how things work, um, but it's like, oh, didn't you know there was this other faction that's been lurking out here that nobody knew about, and now they're here and causing problems, and they have technology you've never seen before, and and that's actually kind of cool because you know one of the one of my favorite things about um, you know space games in general are just science fiction that focuses on space in general is that exploration aspect so what is out there you know and as long as it's not like hi this guy is a magical paladin that's coming in on horse space horses or something you know you could maybe write that in but it you know that's just a departure in tone more than anything else it's like sure you can explain that his atoms are neutrinos that you know but as long as you stay within the except you know Accepted bounds of.
0: uh, (laughs) Come on, space horses. That sounds awesome. Exactly right. My little space pony. I
3: I would play this game. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody somewhere is working on it right now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, My My Little Ponies is mentioned, and somebody starts working. But yeah, but I mean, you know, keeping within certain bounds, um, there's just so much stuff that you can draw on, and that's what. Uh, attracts me to in, in writing and in games and movies, everything, the science fiction and fantasy um, groups is there's just so much creativity that there's space for. So as long as you don't intentionally write yourself into a corner saying like, there is nothing else, we've suddenly, we've discovered the whole universe is empty except for us for some reason. Uh, you know, and there's presumably something else out there as long as it's, you know, tonally fiddling, fitting with the game um generally that sort of thing is is really welcome so when the hybrid showed up you know it's like this uh with version uh 3 3.0 of the game um in that expansion you know you suddenly you got these new alien things that are kind of like velociraptors in their ships that just they're hunting you around the perimeters of your territory and this suddenly vastly more aggressive more small localized force that is actively hating you versus this more, you know, diffuse giant mass of enemy AI that's mostly ignoring you until you piss it off and then it swats at you. And, you know, those are two very different things, but they both, you know, fit within the universe. But yes, we always try and make up BS for it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's the one thing that I'm afraid this game is going on for so many years, even when I'm not playing it, I'm checking out the updates and reading the notes. To the see. voluminous notes. The lu- yeah. Yeah,
0: um, I was looking at version 6 earlier today and it's like you have a section for uh, sorry, highlights. Changes that are huge, changes that are big and changes that are important. It's like, come on, dude. That's not even funny. Um and then, of course, it goes on for... I have to like, page down another 30 times uh, to get to the... Yeah, and this is the the wiki. Um, I'll have a link to it at the bottom of the podcast uh, to the changes in version 6. There's a lot of math in here. Um, there's always a lot of math in your patch notes. But also, you know, a lot of really big changes and updates to the AI. And, you know, this is a huge, giant change. One of the biggest ones since uh, 4, I would think.
3: Oh, definitely. Yeah, we... Um... Uh, interestingly it's been uh, almost as long 6.0 has been almost as long in the making as 1 through 5.0 well sorry <laughs> 2. 2 through 5.0 were because uh, we came out with version 1.0 in, in uh, 2009 and then you know took about a year and a half or so to get to version 5 and then took another year and a half to get to version 6 so it was uh, yeah <laughs> glad we can provide entertainment even, even when you're not playing
1: oh yeah like I eagerly awaited uh, the tweet I would get from uh, your your PR guys and go, oh, I get to read what's different. And then I go there to there, find out that my favorite ships or this or typically some new thread has emerged, which is always... I, like, I've never had a game feed me stuff over three years that I'm constantly finding out new things.
3: And that's been my goal. I mean, to me, if it's a strategy game that's going to have any sort of longevity whatsoever... Uh, that's not PvP in particular, I mean, that's what you got to do. I mean, that's that's what I set out to create. And uh, I'm glad that it's been something that's worked out, you know, both financially and given us the creativity to do something else other than just this. As much as we love doing this, I don't, you know, don't want to be just having all my eggs in AI War and doing nothing but AI War for the rest of my life. But, you know, I love having AI Wars being a part of my life. And... uh it's it's really cool how it fits in with what we're doing as a studio overall. So I mean, it's it's what I'd hoped for, honestly.
0: <laughs> so would there be an AI War two, or would you just keep updating till version ten, version twelve, and going through that? Is something that Arkane is thinking about in any way?
3: Um, no, I really don't really don't want to do a sequel to AI War. Um, the you know, at some point in the future, someday. AI War will be somewhat sunsetted. I mean, it's, it's inevitable that that's going to happen someday, sure. whether it's you know, another three years from now, five years from now, I don't know. But at some point, player interest is going to be below the threshold at which you know, we can support it, unless we're just independently wealthy as a studio, thanks to some sort of hit, you know, like Blizzard, for instance.
2: Or, or, or uh, free-to-play hat-based economy.
3: Yeah, or that, you know, some, something along those lines. But, I mean, presumably there comes a point in most games' lives, all games' lives, I want to say, where they, you know, no longer generate revenue to sustain further updates to that game. And, right. you know, at that point, I'm not sure that I would want to do a sequel to AI War. I I, I may very well eat those words, you know, five, ten years from now, but I don't want to do it anytime soon. Um, because... Uh, AI War, we're already making it as good as we can make it, and I don't know what we would really do in a sequel that would be worth a sequel versus an expansion. Because with an expansion, we have the benefit of, um, for the consumer... Uh, if they've already been buying the f- earlier expansions and the base game and all that, all they have to do is shell out a smaller amount of money and they get this new content that adds on to all their existing content. So they lose nothing and they gain something. And they had to pay less money. Right. It costs us less money to make it. Plus, we get a bunch of cross-sells of our other expansions. We get a lot of upsells of people buying the game who, you know, if we had market saturation where everybody who wanted to play AI War already had it this would be a different situation. Um, and I guess some of these companies with the powerhouse marketing, you know, Blizzards and so forth, even them, I mean, they're still selling new copies of WoW, I would assume, you know, new you know base game copies that then get people subscribing. Everybody who might want to play War World of Warcraft doesn't already play it, I wouldn't think. And you know, if, if anybody's going to have market saturation, it's somebody like that. And we don't have remotely close to market saturation. Um, and so that just that just makes sense for us to keep improving this game. It's cheaper for us. We get more cross-sells, cheaper for the customer, keeps them happy, easy for everybody, everybody's happy, that sounds like a good win to me. And then in terms of other projects, is this the only strategy game I ever want to make? No. But I mean, I think the next one that I want to do is probably going to be uh, turn-based instead, just to do something a little more markedly different. And that's not going to trigger the sunsetting of AI war or anything, but uh, it's, you know it's kind of we we are around as long as the player supports around so
2: (laughs) still you do see arkin coming back to strategy because i we've seen um uh puzzle game the rpg side scrolling world building genre defying other game and then uh uh, your new game, I think, is some kind of RPG. The the next one that's, I think, hitting alpha soon. But, it's more
3: uh, action-adventure. But. Okay.
2: But strategy is somewhere on the horizon again, because I think you had a really unique take with this one. I'd, I'd be excited to see what else comes out of the studio.
3: Strategy is really um, something that's kind of core to Arkan in a lot of respects. I mean, Tidalis, our puzzle game, has a number of strate- you know, tactical, strategic aspects. There's a lot of overlap in general yeah. between strategy games and puzzle games. So I, mean, I think that that was a logical jump. The original concept for Value Without Wind was including a strategy game in it as part of how you manage the overall world. It also included a city-building game. That didn't work out so well in our um, betas for that. So we wound up cutting that, and it went more to just... Uh, side scroller crafting world exploration type stuff we're working on a valley without wind two, and that's bringing back the strategic aspects in a major way we figured out how to handle that it's Mm turn-based and it fits really well with the side scrolling stuff and so that's um actually kind of returned to strategy form for us you know right off and then shattered haven the one that's a uh, action adventure game it's you know it's top down it's kind of environmental puzzle based and so there's a lot of kind of tactical decisions you make and multiple way to solve things and there's you know some aspect you know strategic tactical whatever thinking at least even it's not a strategic or tactical game it doesn't have that kind of replay value of like you're facing an opponent that's you know adaptive or something but the levels themselves and it has a level editor are you know tactical challenges really so it, you know there's there's an undercurrent of that but um you know, i really like mashing things together and uh seeing what unique stuff we can do and you know ai war blended rts and grand strategy and somewhat um you know tower defense and somewhat kind of influences from turn-based strategy and um you know that was kind of the, the mashup of that and all our other ones have strategy somewhere in the mashup but to a greater or lesser degree so but anyway yeah we love strategy <laughs>
0: that's good
2: yay i could get really deep in here for a second please do hey why not i have the developer here this is this is what i've always wanted uh i think it was 4.0 you switched from kind of rolling your own engine and i think you were using slim dx uh, for your graphics, and then you move to Unity, which is getting some traction. I think it was used on Endless Space and the upcoming warrior not not the big one, but the tactical game. So you've been on Unity uh, for this and some of your other games. Was that—I'm I'm assuming you're still happy with the platform. Has that, Have you found anything interesting with it that's allowed you to do bigger and better things? Um, obviously, deploying on different platforms was pretty big. But uh, I was curious on what your thoughts were on the engine for, you know, what I would call large-scale indie development.
3: Well, it's definitely a really good engine. Um, I think it's, uh, it's kind of surprised a little bit to hear you characterize it as having some traction. It, it really, especially in the iOS marketplace, but um, in a lot of other areas with indies in particular, I mean, it seems to be the engine to watch other than the Unreal Engine in a lot of respects. Um and there are others, Monkey Coder and some of the other various ones, but um, it's uh, uh, really kind of flooded with people trying to use its free version, particular almost. Which, uh, but anyway, yeah, we—I've been very happy with it. Um, it's allowed us to, you know, deploy to more platforms, which is good. It's also allowed us. Excuse me, to have no um, prerequisites for installation, which is a big thing because um, we had to have people installing. SlimDX and the .NET Framework 3.5. Plus, if they didn't have you know DirectX 9 installed, they'd install that, and that's a pain in the rear. And people would get so mad at the fact that .NET 3.5 would make them reboot. And it's like, well, if you were up to date on your Windows updates, you wouldn't have this problem. <laughs> uh, I didn't make you reboot. You didn't do your Windows updates. What's your problem? You know, but you can't say that obviously. And you know, they do have a point. Is I just wanted to demo this game, and I had to go through all these hurdles to get through there. You know, what do you care about my Windows update, you know? And with Unity, we don't have to mess with any of that. They just, you know, they download it, they run it, that's it. It has mono built right in, there's nothing to install, um, you know, that's it. And so, the um, that's been a big win, but then on a more, you know, technical level, once you actually get to the game, <laughs> assuming you can run the game, uh, then it, it has a lot of benefits. It's got a really cool shader language that's really... Um, uh, let us experiment with a number of new graphical effects and, and help with performance in certain ways. And that's uh, something that obviously we could have done in SlimDX some as well, but it's you know locked into Microsoft versus this gives us a cross-platform way of doing that, which is one of the really nice benefits of Unity. And uh, you know They have a GUI system that's built in, so that lets us do, um, which we only use the text box of that at the moment, but um, we've built our own GUI system for everything else, but you'd be surprised how difficult it is to code text boxes that feel remotely like good text boxes. Uh, at any rate, that was something we'd been using GDI Plus, actually, which is kind of the Windows uh, desktop uh, rendering tool set. Anyway, and so that was preventing us from doing, until version 4.0, you couldn't do a true full screen uh, with AI War. Uh, you could only do kind of a faux full screen where it would uh, maximize and hide the window chrome in the title bar, but, you know, it wasn't really maximized. And with, um, you know, with Unity, we can do a variety of more things. And there's a bunch of other benefits I mean there's stuff with you know how we're streaming in things there's been you know a few benefits to kind of multi-threading especially with uh, loading content off disk more easily we could have done that another way but it's just a little bit easier in unity and there's you know there's, there's a laundry list of, of bigger and smaller things that are that are useful there um, but it's been just something that's very easy to deploy and, and everything is just
1: really made a win for us Chris, I wanted to ask you. ...because for some reason this has stuck in my mind... ...about theme again... ...and uh, AI War, Ballyweth Outwind... ...Shattered Haven... ...and even Tidalis... ...or Tidalis... ...they all... ...have this... Uh, ...commonality, this theme that... ...it's the end times... ...or things are broken and destroyed... ...and it's... ...in other RTSs... ...the overall arcing thing is war... ...one side, another side, two nations... This, your protagonist, your dude you control on the screen, is always behind the eight ball. Uh, they're outgunned, outmanned, etc., man, et And even in Tidal is, you're a ship captain or something who crashed on a beach all by himself in a new land. It, it, am I seeing things that aren't there, or is this like your personal, um, um, your personal, yeah, th- does apocalypse appeal to you?
3: It definitely does. I mean, post-apocalyptic appeals to me, and uh, it's, you know, I knew where you were heading, because I looked at my wife just, I think it was just last week, and I said, you know, I have yet to make a game that doesn't have some sort of, like, apocalypse in it, (laughs) and she's like, yeah, and I was like, I hadn't really realized that, (laughs) and it's just, It's just my taste. I mean, I like uh, fiction that's about that sort of thing because, uh, you know, why is everybody all over the moon about, you know, The Walking Dead and so forth, for instance. And uh, I think it's because, you know, it's really well-written, but part of why it's really well-written is that those guys uh, have a scenario that's so ripe with potentially interesting conflicts. I mean, when everything's good, you you know, things people don't really, people aren't under stress in the same way, and there's not, uh whatever, There's characters don't come out as, as richly, but, you know, when people are super stressed, and everything's terrible, and so forth. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not something that I consciously set out to do, Um and I don't believe we're in the end times. I think we'll see 2013 just fine, and, you know, I, I don't have any personal beliefs in any of this sort of thing, and I certainly don't have any, interest in actually living through an apocalypse, but uh, in a fictionalized sense, it it certainly appeals to me.
0: Great. Um, (laughs) Any... To tell that we're all dying, um, slowly, any last (laughs) words uh, or questions before we shuffle off the mortal coil of at least this podcast and send Chris off to his... uh, evening plans oh man i have so many so many so many questions
2: go go ahead shannon go uh you go first i got like
0: hold on i gotta open my
1: book Um, okay okay god
0: you brought a book you're worse than tom chick
1: so you're saying you're always getting new audiences drawing in new players who buy the base game and i was wondering from feedback from them was it i don't know i'm just hooked on this theme things to me that's why it draws me back to your games all the time there are players who get this um, are they drawn in by the theme or are they drawn in by uh, the math the uh, the game mechanics? It's all
3: of the above, honestly, because we get people that are attracted to any one to any number of different things, um, and so. I don't think there's any one answer. You get the people who are just really into space games and they love the fact that it makes them feel like a space commander like they've never felt in another game or haven't felt since Master of Orion or whatever. So you get those folks and you get folks that, uh, you know, really want to test themselves against a strong AI. You get the people who, you know, you you get all those sorts of varieties. I wouldn't necessarily say that I've seen um, any particular contingent that makes me believe there's a larger group one, one group being larger than the other. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I, I imagine that, that theme plays a part, certainly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, two two quick questions. Y- you've been doing this game for several years. You've had a lot of things come out that people really liked. Uh, was there anything that surprised you that it didn't go or go over as well as you'd hoped? Like, kind of a head scratcher, like, huh, not sure why people uh, didn't go for this one.
3: Yes, in the third expansion, in Light of the Spire, there's a mode called Defender Mode,
2: and oh, boy. it
3: it creates it creates a situation that is um, a shorter game, which is what everybody had wanted, where you're like scrambling to defend for a certain amount of time in this this particular scenario that's you know short and intense, which is what everybody just swore up and down they wanted. And then, okay, great. It's not the best thing in the world, partly because I can't get anybody to freaking test it. You know what I mean? It's Normally, we have so much feedback <laughs> from people who want to actually play this, but everybody's just kind of like, no, nah, I'm playing Fallen Spire, you know, which is the other big thing in that expansion. Fallen Spire is so much fun, I'm playing that. I'll get to Defender Mode someday. You know, and, and Defender Mode just never took off. I mean, it wasn't like people were like, oh, we hate this. They're just kind of like, I'm playing AI War. I don't have time for this Defender Mode of AI War. And it's just kind of like, but but you've been saying you wanted that. and It's, it's kind of like, okay, that that was the one really, really big thing that stands out to me for AI War that uh, was a big misfire. And some people still seem to enjoy it. And there are people who play it, but I don't hear much from them. And um, I think they then graduate back up to the main AI War pretty quick. So, I, you know, it's whatever. It was a great expansion either way without that. But uh, the Fallen Spire was really cool. But that part, Defender <laughs> Mode was
2: whatever. So, yeah, so, so yeah. Uh, several years in, uh, it's your your flagship game. Uh, do you still like working on it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not as involved in the day to day. I'm not really involved in the day to day coding much on it at all. I do various engine improvements to it, and I do uh, you know usually the art support for it and uh, you know game design support for it. But Keith Lamothe is the one who's been mainly uh, focusing on it. And the reason for that is. Uh, for one, he's really into it, but for another, um, there's just only so much RAM in my head. And uh, with <laughs> being the lead designer on, we, we've got three games going at the moment with Shattered Haven and A uh, That win 2 and the AI War stuff. There's just, you know, we had to kind of divide and conquer. So I was less involved with the latest expansion than I would have liked, but uh, it it's turned out really well. And um, it's... Something that uh, I think is one of our better expansions, despite my lack of involvement.
1: (laughs) Can I throw in one quick question? Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. uh, Is there modding possible with this game?
3: Um, To some extent. You can not... Not enormously. You can mod like the graphics for the sound and stuff, but in terms of modding the actual gameplay and stuff, there's not. Just because I feel like that leads to fragmentary player bases, and you know, I've written and spoken about that at length before. Just. It's not that I'm against modding, and I think that modding with a lot of games, especially with a game where developers left the game, like Take Total Annihilation for instance, modding is the best thing in the world. But when the developers are like actively working on it and trying to get player buy-in and players to you know help collectively make things better, then I think that the <clears throat> you know, the experience that modding can leave sometimes leaves something to be desired because there's such a quality variance and the, um, you know, it's very difficult for people to always get the mods. All players don't always get all the good mods uh, and a lot of times they're mutually exclusive and all these other sorts of problems. And so, you know, my kind of approach to modding has been the the free DLC that we do where, When there are good ideas that come from the player base and so forth, and we get them in, and they get rolled out through the official patches, so that everybody sees them, you wind up with this big, vast game that is something that is, um, uh, you know, got a couple of head chefs, you know, that have been overseeing all of it, uh, Keith and myself, and making sure that everything fits together into one tasty dish, and uh, that it's, you know, a big dish, but it's, it's, uh, you know, coherent at least.
0: All right. Uh, Chris, thank you for coming on the show again. And when you do another strategy game, we will, of course, uh, welcome you back.
3: Well, thanks for having me.
0: And uh, Shannon, glad you could come on and talk about AI War. Alex least some intelligent questions.
1: I'm very happy to be here.
0: I uh, hope Rob recovers soon. And of course, uh, this show will be edited and improved by Michael Hermes. I'll
2: get Rob in there somehow. I'll just kind of put him in the middle somewhere.
0: Have him saying something really, Diane Reem.
3: Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and is that a cat?
0: Uh, we hope to be back. Uh, I have him back next week uh, with some really cool stuff. Uh, it is November, and some people have asked me if we're doing the fundraising thing again. Because we should do it in October, and we didn't announce it. The answer is yes, we will be, but we're working on some details on it because uh, if we have a new site, we have things that need to work out. So hold off on that. Hold off on your donations until we have a plan for it because we might have some cool ways to do it. Uh, Thanks for listening. A reminder that we are on iTunes for you to rank, rate, and review. uh, Tell your friends. And if you have any uh, suggestions for podcast ideas, please send them uh, to Rob or myself. Our contact information is easily discoverable. So (laughs) have a nice week and goodbye. Good night, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.